to the Post-Purchase Pro Podcast. This is the only podcast that dives deep into post-purchase marketing to help Amazon sellers increase sales, ranking, reviews, and profits. It's everything that happens after the initial sale that makes a difference. We call this the back end. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Dylan Pettijohn here of the Post-Purchase Pro Podcast. I've got my co-host today, Tracy, and we are going to be talking to Harry Spate today. Harry is a leading sales consultant, the author of the book, Selling with Dignity, keynote speaker, and let's let's just get straight into it, Harry. Great to be here, Dylan. What's a good word? Yeah, oh, uh, it's good. It's good over here. Um, so just to get into it, for anybody that doesn't know, could you break down a little bit more of your background and then explain the book, Selling with Dignity, for anybody sure. that hasn't heard of it yet? Okay, so... Uh, the quick story of my background is before I got into sales, I did mission work. So really servant-minded background, lived a few years in the Dominican Republic, had a great time, left that lifestyle in my mid-30s, got into sales through some connections I had, struggled mightily at first because I couldn't close a door. I didn't know I have any business acumen but eventually figured out that I could serve people and learn to ask for the business. And then I built a nice sales career and then got into sales leadership and went from small town America, no college degree to working for a fortune 500 company, a couple of blocks from the white house uh, running sales teams. So uh, after that, I decided to write a book to help people who were, people who are not the pushy, obnoxious, salesy types that needed to succeed in sales or run their small business that needed to grow their sales. I am for those people, the introverts, the kind-hearted, servant-minded people you can sell. And that's who I really primarily help. That's amazing. Well, it's it, it feels like you're preaching to the choir here because uh, Tracy's our sales guy on our team. And uh, maybe he can add some to this, but I am more of that sales style that you were talking about. I don't like just trying to push and push and push people. Mm -hmm. I'd prefer to, you know, figure out like, hey, is our product a solution for you? Because if it's not, I'm really blunt. I'll tell you that it's not the solution for you. And I might point you in the right direction to go find what would be, uh, you know, the thing that could actually help you out in that case. That is so good. And that's really what makes someone stand out as a consultative seller or a trusted advisor when you can let go of that outcome and make a recommendation where you're not going to make money right that's yeah. huge so good for you yeah um, so uh how did you go from mission work to like that's a that's a pretty big jump like i don't feel like i hear many people that go from being a mission like it's all not about the money to like going to a space where it's usually primarily about the money, but you found a way of just making it not that, it seems, uh, just oh based my. on how you go about it. Yeah, it was clearly not about the money and the mission work. I mean, I wrote, I think in my book that I was uh, at the poverty level. I mean, we worked just enough to support the mission work. And then uh, when I got into sales, it's all about the money. It's all about the GP, the gross profit is really a change of thinking for me. Uh, but I had to go from serving, right? Because I, I struggled mightily trying to adopt this thinking and it just wasn't me. And 
no matter how much training I was getting, I just felt awkward. But finally, when I had an opportunity, I just did so much on the customer service side for the prospect that they asked me, uh, this is a great closing line I had there. Their line was, Harry, how do we buy this thing? And it was a $50,000 color printer at the time. And you know, I had asked my manager, how, how do I draw paperwork? I didn't even know how to do that. But it all came together. And from that, I said, I can outserve my competition because no one's thinking like this. They're all thinking about the sale. I'm going to think about serving and we'll see if that's my separator, you know, my differentiator, if you will. And it really came to be that way. So I know for like some people, they, 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 they sell out of necessity. Like, um, and, and what I mean by that is if you're in a 100%, 100% commission-based position, like you can feel the pressure to have to sell. So how, how are you able to, I mean, yeah, how are you mm-hmm. able to navigate that is really what I'm trying to ask because I, I know in some times for salespeople, if you're not really good at saving, it can get tight. Um, I, I used to be in the mortgage industry and I, I know like it was 100% commission at the office I was at. So uh, people would get pretty serious at some times. Yeah, there's a couple of answers for that. One is live within your means to, I mean, I was taught um, to have a, I forgot what the term they used, but um, like I needed to make money because I had a very expensive lifestyle. That's what people wanted in the corporate world is to have salespeople with expensive lifestyles so that they would have the pressure to sell everyone. I bought into that for a while and it's not fun. Uh, So that's a mistake is like live within your means, understand what you're really striving for. And I just felt like, well, I'm making so much money. I'll just keep, keep buying, have more debt and not, not a smart move. But that's another subject. The thing that I worked with uh, in the beginning was since I didn't have any money and I needed to sell uh, someone, I think it might've been Brian Tracy or Tom Hopkins. I was doing a lot of reading at the time. And one of them said something along the lines, act like you want the sale, but not need the sale. And there's a huge difference, right? Where you're, willing to serve, you're going the extra mile, you're asking for the business, but you're not needy. And that's where, in all honesty, is I think acting came in, where you just said, I got to, and people will say today is remove the emotion from it, which is hard to do, but you have to act like you don't need it and just deal with that. And the more you can do that, the calmer you are, the better it'll be for the outcome. What's your thought on that? Yeah. Uh, well, Tracy, I, I want to see what you think about this, but I mean, from my perspective, that's, that, that that's pretty solid. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of living within your means. I wouldn't quite say that I'm a Dave Ramsey fan, mm-hmm. but I, I do like the idea of, you know, don't, you don't need the Mercedes. You can get a Honda. You don't, you don't need the massive house. You can get a house that makes sense. I mean, of course, it, like there, there's always a thing. And I, I feel like this is pretty prevalent. Uh, like I, I used to, like I said, I used to work at a brokerage. So uh, people want to show other people that they got cool things. And I think one thing that I really 
just never felt like I had to connect with that because I, I was like, why would I pay? I don't know. For for example, I think the average car payment right now, and if you make it a Mercedes, it's probably more, but like around a thousand dollars a month. And then by the time you add in interest and everything like that, and then you got a mortgage payment on top of that, that's a huge drag. If you're a salesperson that you have to perform and, you know, being able to take as much out of that as you can to where you're like, you know, I, I really want to be that guy to sell this to you. And if you need this, I totally will. But at the same time, if it just doesn't make sense, I totally understand in that same case. I mean, I feel that. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I'd like to say I didn't make mistakes, but I made the mistakes. So, yes, I had outrageous car payments, big mortgages, and it was all but still the acting part where mm-hmm. if we were having a terrible month. This is when I was in sales leadership. We're having a terrible month. I could not take that out on the team. I couldn't put pressure on the team because then they would put pressure on the client and that's not how you sell. So it's, you just got to roll with the punches and uh, deal with the choices we make in life, but never take it out on the client. I've heard sales reps say over the years, well, I've got to earn a living to a client. Oh, wow. That's just, you know, appalling. Wow. Someone would say something like that where I just... I pretty much had to walk out of the room like, what, what am I hearing? But this yeah. is what some people say in sales will shock you. Uh, and that's just, I'm in the opposite world. Always be serving and ask for the order politely. And if they say, I, as much as we said, we wanted to do it this month or this quarter, this came up and we can't. And, so, you know, that's where you have to deal with the frustration a little bit and just work with it. That makes sense. I couldn't agree more. I've awesome. I've trained hundreds of sales reps over the years. Yeah. And um, if you forget about the commission and always do the right thing for the customer, the commissions will come. Those that reverse that tend to be less effective and less results and a lot more stress, but always be doing the right thing for the customer and solving a problem and need and delivering results and the sales will come. You don't have to play a bunch of games and stressful pushing um, in my experience. A hundred percent agree with you, Kyle. Uh, I chuckle when sales people or business owners that are counting the money before they have the order. (laughs) <laughs> and then when if they have to negotiate or something changes, they're then disappointed with the order. Mm-hmm. And they'll say things mm-hmm. like, I should have made this. And it's like, no, be happy with what you have. It was your mistake to count something that wasn't done. Right? So it's yeah. never done until it's done. And that's when you should be grateful that you have that versus disappointed. Because that shows. It ends up showing one way or another. Yeah. So one question I had uh, in going back to the team component of that, how if you were having a bad, for example, bad week, bad month, bad quarter, and you can't really I don't I don't want to say take it out on the team. That That's the words you use specifically. But how would you be able to relay that to the team to like, you know, get that? I don't want to put pressure on them. But at the same time, you know, we got to get back to our metrics that we should be at. Yeah. uh, I mean, it really comes down to, uh, first of all, I have a sense of humor. And as Mm -hmm. much as in a publicly held company, 
there is tons of stress with forecasting. And the worse you do, the more the forecasts come. So it's it's really it goes with the game. When you're smoothing along sailing, it's like, oh, Harry and his team, they're great. We don't have to worry about them. What's your number? And not talk to me until like maybe the middle of the month and say, are we tracking stuff? Yep, we're tracking. Good. See you at the end of the month. That That's when you know, everything is smooth sailing. When you have the down quarter or the and you start off with a weak month, then you say, we're going to make up for it. And just like, is everyone on board? How's our activity looking? We're trying to drive activity, but then there's head trash because the last month wasn't great. And then you start putting pressure on yourself. And this kind of makes things go from bad to worse and then worser, if that's a word. Uh, <laughs> and you can have a terrible quarter. But it, if you're doing the right things, it comes around. And so you look at the year and you say, you know, after you do this for a while, I say, I just don't want a bad quarter. I may have a bad month or two if I can get out of having a couple of bad months. That's okay. That's even better. But you really want to try to avoid how do I avoid a bad quarter? That bad quarter might be the first quarter of the year, might be the fourth quarter, but you want to try to increase the activity so you don't repeat the same result. It's the way I handle that over time. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I feel like this this is one of those times uh, where it's, I feel like a lot of it is feast or famine in sales, uh, especially like late December, early January, because mm. people are readjusting budgets and changing everything. Um, yep. Like realigning their goals for the next year. That makes sense. So you're essentially saying like to avoid, um, avoid focusing on the pressure, I guess. You, you're saying keep a, a positive mind and like focus on like, hey, this has been like this for the past month. This doesn't last forever. We just got to keep chugging along and it'll get back to normal. Exactly. And you're, it's, it's where faith is a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's uh, you have to trust the process that if you're doing the right things. Now, if you're not doing the activity, you can't expect different results. But if you're making the calls, so I would focus. What can we con control? We mm -hmm. cannot control when people sign paperwork. You can control how many conversations you're having with people, how much networking you're doing, right? How many visits you're making with your current clients to uncover more opportunity. That's the stuff you can control. And that's what you really want to focus on. The paperwork, well, you know, using the proverbial funnel, will come in when it comes in. When you you make the ask, they say, well, not this week, but maybe in a couple of weeks, you schedule the follow-up, you do that and you leave it. And then you go back to your activity. Say, look, I got to visit more people. I got to make more calls and go right at it, right? Because you can not you can control what you do. Gotcha. I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've received tons of feedback from speaking and, you know, you've got the book out and everything. Um, what are some of the, I'm sure you have salespeople telling you uh, that they're having trouble. Like what are the the main mistakes you see beginners, intermediates, and even some of the advanced guys making that you're just like, no, <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as, you know, you fix this. Yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, one thing that comes to mind is very common these days is where people show interest. They're ready. They say they're ready to do something then they disappear. And, you know, sales reps, business owners are sending emails 
and you know they feel like they lost it and it gets annoying the number of emails and calls they make mm -hmm. they're not providing any value they're just checking up checking in following up and they're doing all of this they want the sale and they wonder why the person went dark i go dark if i don't mm -hmm. see any value that you're offering and i say i'm interested but then stuff comes up and it's just like I went from I'm interested to like, that's not a priority right now. That stuff happens, folks. So our goal in is always to provide value. Make sure you are following up with something that provides value for the potential buyer so that they want to talk to you. again. If you're just asking for the order, they're going to keep ghosting you. Or if you keep asking, where are you? They're going to keep ghosting you. Yeah, that, that that does make a lot of sense. I, I I feel like I do see that pretty often. And uh, do you uh do you have a, a metric for like how many times you you and your your passive like followed up or expected people to follow up to um to the point where you're like okay after this 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 leads really not going to buy like we we've given them enough things uh, it's just not making sense or do you just keep them on the list? Well, after a few weeks of, you know, maybe you followed up and sent emails, make phone calls. And, you know, after there's a number out there, I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's somewhere around 10 times, mm -hmm. then you move on and say they're done for now. They're not going to do anything now. I'm going to read surface here in another 90 days and try to get that back engaged but if they don't get engaged then now they go into like a file for uh follow-up for newsletters and things like that because you just want to be top of mind if and when they do decide to do something but that's it's way more than once or twice yeah right yeah. sending an email and they don't respond is not enough. Making a phone call and they don't return your voice message is not enough. And this is the big mistake is where a lot of inexperienced people will say, well, I left them a message or I sent them an email and they never responded. Now it's on them. It's never, I'll be very clear, it's never on the prospect to return a call or an email. It's just, it's, that does not exist. It's got to be, they decided to return an email. It's a gift. If they pick up the phone, it's a gift. Or they come to the door, if you drop in, that too is a gift. But it's never on them that they need to do this to help us sell something. What's your thought hey, on Harry. that? Hey, Harry, quick question. Yeah. Um, I know it's persistency and tenacity to just continue to follow up. Do you tend to, when they are somewhat ghosting you, do you remind them of the value proposition? Do you ask questions to make sure you've uncovered the correct need? Or do you have strategies in that process that you try to change it up if no one's engaging? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, some people recommend, like, obviously, you're busy at this point. This is going to be my last email for now unless you say something and does that work? It may work a few times. I'm really of the mindset though, is that here's an article. I thought of you when I found it, or I was, I thought of you and I wanted to share this article. 
was looking to see if we can re-engage. We had a great conversation, a couple of months passed, and I'm here for you. But if this isn't the right time, you know, I can resurface back in 90 days. What's your preference? You say stuff like that, and it's really non-threatening. And just mm -hmm. expect that it's not, they're not going to respond. If they respond, great. If they didn't, it's like, okay, I know that I'm just going to move these people. They went from really interested to semi-interested to cold now. I got to look in the mirror first. What did I do? What did I say? Right? And say, could I have done better? Did I miss something? Is there someone else in the conversation? Um, maybe you met with two people. Can you find someone else? Can you call the receptionist or an executive assistant? Say, I've been trying to reach so-and-so. Apparently, they're very busy. When's a good time that I might follow up? Or do you have any suggestions? You try different things. And it's like you never know what's going to make it happen. But sometimes you get lucky. But you're doing the activity, right? None of that is sitting back waiting for an email to come in or the phone to ring. You're trying things. What's your is what's your thought on that there, Kyle? So I Kyle? completely agree with that. Um, yeah. you know, because it's people's retention sometimes is a little short. So yeah. you have to one remind them, but two, there could be peripheral, you know, decision points or hot buttons that have come up since your first conversation and you just haven't addressed them yet. So that's a good way to kind of filter that out and show that you're here to provide a solution and to serve them, not just push a product in their business. Exactly. Tracy, I apologize for calling you Kyle. But the what you said there, in my opinion, is exactly the way you want to view it. And if you approach this potential buyer, as someone that is going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars with you over the course of their lifetime and maybe give you referrals that are worth thousands and thousands more, would you want to be rude to the person? Would you want to just come off as obnoxious, like you really need the order today or that they're rude for not responding to you? I just don't think that makes good business sense. I want everybody to like me so that they will do business with me. I mean, why not? Yeah, no, I, I really can't agree more. Um, so it, I, I wanted to see, uh, is, is there any way that people can get a preview of the book if they wanted to get a preview of Selling with Dignity? Yeah, you can download a few chapters at uh, sellingwithdignity.com, the book. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty simple. <laughs> no, that's that, that's awesome. I, I I'm sure. Uh, it sounds like you've got a gold mine of insights in there. Um, yeah, we really. It's it's all about trying to help people to be better. I don't have. This is not about tricks, folks. Yeah. This is not about a closing line that's going to be magical. That stuff does not exist. I remember uh, this may have happened to you guys once or twice. It's happened to me where someone has gotten on a call with me and they closed me. I mean, it was, I just couldn't get rid of the person. They're laying guilt and putting pressure on me. I said, okay, okay, I'll do it. And then I got off the phone or whatever, the conversation, Zoom, and I sent a nice message. I'm not interested. Yeah. I, I just, I just had this gross feeling that it's like you made me compromise 
and now I don't feel good about myself, so I'm going to cancel. And you just said something similar. Yeah, no, I, I've been on a consultation call before for a service and like I didn't even really get a chance to talk. It was just like steamrolling for 30 minutes. And I yeah. was like, you know what? I don't actually want that at all now. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that stuff worked years ago, but today's buyer, they've got too many choices and they can say yes, but then they're just going to cancel the order or decide not to pay. It's not worth it. Just go do it. Do things the right way. You'd be better off. I feel like buyers are more knowledgeable now today and uh, compared to how they used to be, because like, I mean, I'm seeing these people post things from, I don't know if you've seen this, but like black Friday where they're uncovering the sa- the black Friday sale tag and it's the normal sale price. Like we could have gotten away with that in 2000, but nowadays people are too smart and it spreads too fast. Not that, that people weren't any smart then, but like in terms of like the type of sales tactics that we use to try to get them to buy that plus they have other people online that are able to show what other like companies are doing sales tactics wise. And then they get even smarter about the different types of sales tactics people use. Ah, yeah. So true. And you know, you look at this throughout many different industries, try, try uh, selling cars with profit in them. Yeah. Right? It's it's all about the games, you know, after you pick out the car, it's like, uh, well, would you like this undercoating? Would you like this top coating? Would you like this tint? If you're trying to, which is fine, I get it. And I'm not complaining that, but if you go in and expect that you're not going to get sold, some, try to get sold something else, it's the process. Mm-hmm. And we're all, I mean, we're all buying a car and we're now for the most part shopping on I want the invoice price. Where do I get the invoice price on this? Yeah. So I know going in what I should be paying approximately and now not fall for any tricks, but still people fall for tricks, but that's another story. Yeah. I've been on the. Certain industries don't stop pressing those tricks too. Right. Yes, exactly. Some are. I'm sorry. Oh, no. And as you know, say the added age of the availability of information makes it easier to pull the disguise out of those but uh and uh, i think you would probably agree it's so unnecessary yeah i I, again i would make it where it would be easy to buy from me Mm -hmm. if i was selling in an industry let's just pick on the car industry i think there's a lot of great car dealers that are doing things the right way and there's some that are really old school i would make it so that it would be really easy to buy from me so that those people could tell their friends and family and they would buy and buy again from me versus coming in and feel like you're a little bit dirty because you bought a car there and yeah. then, you know, or whatever the industry is like, make it easy for people. And you look at the industries, look at Amazon, right? I mean, you guys are pretty familiar with Amazon. Mm-hmm. Why is Amazon so popular? Because people don't have to deal with people, right? They can stay mm-hmm. at home. They don't have to go talk to a salesperson. So now they're buying all kinds of things that used to require a salesperson. So they're getting rid of the middleman, Carvana. There's other businesses. I mean, real estate's going to face this same thing. Is people are going to say, why am I dealing with this when I just want to, right? And, you know. I've uh, I've actually uh, been hearing about that a lot more lately because uh, I'm in the space too. Uh, we'll still... Um, instead of being in the loan side, I'm on the investor side now. But um, uh, 
people are like they're not wanting to deal with like the agents commissions anymore especially since the properties are getting so high of price i mean mm-hmm. like for example if the average house is $300,000 if you're paying a 6 like 6% to commissions and everything like that on the uh what would that be yeah like it 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 just ends up being a ridiculous amount of money yeah. that you're spending um in in markets like LA like in a, a million dollar house which is pretty much a shack that's $60,000 in commissions right there between the buyer and seller agent. Like people are just getting to the point where they don't want to deal with that anymore. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's going to be pressure from the consumer and that typically the consumers typically win out. I mean, this is an age where you can't really hold on to stuff that's been done this way <laughs> for, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred years. I right? say, well, it's been done this way for a hundred years does not exactly uh, give this generation much uh, thought as to why can't it be changed that doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can look at it too as like, um, for example, I know that when I first created a investment account, it was like $20 was the transaction each way. So like mm-hmm. buying a stock, for example, or an ETF, it was $20 to pay Scott Trade to place the order. And then if I wanted to sell it, it was $20 to mm-hmm. place the trade. Now they have the commission-free brokerages. Um, I mean, it's it's crazy that, it, I mean, there's there's some other thing that's that's been able to change and why they were able to do that. But at the same time, people are pushing down, like it seems like on all those different directions and like the style that uh, you preach. And I, I oh, Preach may, might not be the right word, but uh, <laughs> it's perfectly my background. It right? fits perfectly with the <laughs> with the minute missionary. Yeah, yeah, and then Tracy also loves and and I really feel it as well. The the consultative style of just like focusing on what does this person need? Do they need this? Right. Uh, will this help them a lot? Because I feel way more comfortable selling somebody something if I know that their life will be better if they have this service or product in their life. And it makes perfect sense. It, so here's a, a thought. Like I used to sell this $50,000 device. It was a color printer really in the late 90s. Sell, sold to corporations and you also in print shops. People, nobody was in the market for a $50,000 printer. <laughs> okay, No one was calling and saying, I need to buy a $50,000 printer. They wanted to spend maybe $2,000 on a printer. Could a $2,000 printer be, could you show an ROI on a $50,000 printer compared to a $2,000 printer? The answer is yes. I did it all the time. And that's what, that may be very successful. So if I were to ask though, are you in the market for, I've got this for $50,000. You're spending, you want something for two. Do we have a deal? A hundred times people would say no. But if I could show that they were spending the same amount on that $2,000 printer with consumables, that the $50,000 printer now could save them money over X amount of volume. This is where your return on investment showed. I started Mm -hmm. selling those printers a lot more once I realized the selling form. So if someone said, I'm really not in the market for something that expensive, 
I could say something like, I totally understand. In fact, a lot of the people I speak to feel the same way. But would you be open to hearing why people who are once opposed decided to go ahead with something? Would you be open to that idea or would you be opposed to that idea and get the answer? And now you share your, your return on investment. So the difference where I was, so like when people say persistence, it's persistence with education. It wasn't persistence like you need this $50,000 printer. It mm -hmm. had to be justified. And so if you're selling a product that is more expensive or something that's more ex a service, you need to justify it and get buy-in that this is going to be a better fit in the long run. If you're not doing that and you're just following up being persistent, that's not going to get you anywhere. It's just noise. You see the difference there? Yeah, no, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Tracy, you hey, were going to say- Do you build all your conversations all around kind of the primary pr principle of ROI in, it, in the education side? Not all of them, but a, a lot of them, <laughs> because it's a lot can be broken down. I mean, this comes from uh, it might have come from Tom Hopkins. A line that he used years ago was the reduction to the ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that, that just came up in my memory here. So thank you for that, Tracy. But it was like for the price of a cup of coffee a day whatever that is, right? If it's not a cup of coffee, but if it's a, you know, a tank, tank of gas a week or whatever the analogy is, that can be very helpful. And people are still using that today to help people say, look, I'm not looking at this. Like uh, charities, nonprofits will do this all the time for Just 97 a cents a day, right? You're, yeah. you know, you're making an impact. You're saving a child's life or these dogs are being rescued. And someone can say, yeah, for a cup of coffee a day, I'll do that. But if you said it's got to cost you $360 for the year, you said, I, I want to draw $360 now. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's very common and I recommend it if it's a fit for what it is you're selling. Sweet. Um, I did have one fun question I wanted okay. to ask. It, it, what was something that you bought in the last 12 months that you would consider a splurge? So, more on the it doesn't even have to be expensive, but just like you didn't need it, but you consider, but you don't regret buying it essentially. In the last 12 months, I, <laughs> all right. Yeah, this is kind of funny, but my daughter wanted a forerunner. So I bought a used forerunner. I spent too much money on it because the value of these forerunners do not go down. And it was a, nightmare of stuff that was going wrong with it oh no uh, it's i mean it's just it's a nightmare pain in the butt stuff you know so i'm, I'm doing all this tinkering and i was like why did i do this and there's no way i'm going to give that thing to my daughter because it's going to be a nightmare for her i'm going to get the calls in the middle of the night so mm -hmm. it became my vehicle Oh my. <laughs> so yeah, stuff like that is just like, yeah, I try to be, I try to be helpful and it just was like, uh, oh, that was a mistake. So now I got this 
clunker sitting in my driveway. Uh, not sure what to do with it because I'm going to take a beating on it anyway. So. Oh, because prices have gone. Well, I don't the know. Prices, prices have gone. dropped a little bit. Plus, I, I'm now, I mean, we were misled mm -hmm. a little bit, uh, to say the least, on some of the stuff. And, uh, you know, stuff happens. But, yeah, that was, uh, I'd like to take back that decision. <laughs> In a heartbeat. <laughs> oh my! It never ends. I'm constantly reminded of it. Oh, uh, I I know the I don't, maybe I don't know the exact feeling, but I used to have a old Honda from 2000 and it yeah. had 250 thousand miles on it. So it was like every month it was like, oh, the brake line needs replaced. Oh, we need to do something with the oils. It's like, right. oh, I'm like yes. I might as well have a car payment because this is like three or four hundred dollars a month, anyways. Yeah. Well, yeah, totally. That's that's what's happening. My daughter says, "Dad, why did you buy that thing?" It's like, never mind. <laughs> yeah, you're getting the Honda Accord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somebody, yeah, silly. It's all all good though. But yes, that that's uh, the fun uh, times of the life of uh, Harry Spate at times. Yeah, some good yeah. decisions, some not so good. Oh, we all have them. Uh, exactly. But it, if the, if there was really like one thing that you think if we took everything we've talked about so far in the podcast and you condensed it down to something that the listener should take away, what, what would that be? Uh, if you're not great at sales, get great at sales because it will change your life. And if you think that because you don't like sales and you have a small business and you say things like, I'm really not good at sales and you accept that, that's like saying, I really don't like money and I don't need it. And I'm going to expect to make money, right? Because selling is the key to the growth of your business. You're going to have to sell to your clients, future sales to your clients. You're selling to employees. You're selling to investors. You're selling all the time. So I would work at getting good at it. I did change my life. I went from, you know, very poor, to doing pretty well. And it's all because I learned to sell. Uh, so I highly recommend it. And don't be blaming the prospect or the client for not buying. Look in the mirror because either you're talking to the wrong person or you're not providing enough value for them to see that you actually can solve a problem that they have. So those would be my, my uh, summary tips if that works for you. Yeah, no, that that's really good. Very nice. um, and if anybody wanted to get in contact with you, that's the listeners. Um, could you detail like what what types of services you offer and uh, how they can really reach out? Yeah. So if you have a sales team and you're finding that they're a little flat, and they need someone to come in and spark things up a little bit, talk a little bit about uh, how sales and marketing should work together, how salespeople have their own brand, how they should be doing quite a bit on social media to let people know what their brand is. Or if you're a business owner and you just want to be better in sales, I have a little group sales coaching program where you got, you know, four or five people where we're talking about real life events and helping us get through those so that you can be better in sales and grow your business that way. If you're, you're a solopreneur at this point. Awesome. And they can reach you at, Harry at sellingwithdignity.com amazing <laughs> well thank you for uh joining harry and uh thank you tracy for co-hosting with me today i think we can go ahead and sign off here okay.